Please turn in your Bibles to 1 John chapter 1. This is on page 1021 in the blue Bible that's in the pew or the chair. 1021. Begin reading with verse 5 of chapter 1. This is the message we have heard from him and proclaim to you that God is light, and in him is no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar. And his word is not in us. My little children, I'm writing these things to you so that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father. Jesus Christ, the righteous. He is the propitiation for our sins. And not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. And by this we know that we've come to know him if we keep his commandments. Whoever says, I know him, but does not keep his commandments is a liar, and the truth is not in him. But whoever keeps his word in him truly, the love of God is perfected. By this we may be sure that we are in him. Whoever says he abides in him ought to walk in the same way in which he walked. That's the reading of God's holy, infallible word. Let us pray. <clears throat> oh Lord, we thank you that you've given to us the Lord Jesus Christ and that he is a treasure house of blessing for your people that in ways we've hardly even begun to estimate in our lives. He is working to rain blessing and good things upon His people. We thank You for His present intercession, even now at Your right hand. We thank You that You have established Him for us, that we do have an advocate in Him. And we pray, Lord, now that we will come to understand some of what that means and that it will revolutionize our lives continually. And, Lord, we will walk in new strength and hope and expectation, new love and holiness because of the intercession of our Lord Jesus Christ. And this we pray in His precious name. Amen. 
It is a wonderful thing to have an advocate. You're applying for a job, and instead of being one of 213 other applications that runs through a computer, your daddy knows another guy. They're very good friends. And this other fella is very influential in that company. He takes your resume and he puts it on the desk of the guy that's looking at them and say, I would love for you to have a good, strong look at this young man, this young woman. Or, as has happened many times, you know a certain doctor. And in a very serious situation, instead of waiting for hours and hours or perhaps days and weeks, you are ushered immediately into the specialist that you need to see the very day that you need to because you had an advocate. Or, as in one movie, you are in danger of losing everything and even your own health when someone comes as an advocate to make an appeal and to establish a case that ended up becoming the largest case of its kind in which a company had to repay those who had been uh, ruined and so many had gotten cancer because of that company's uh, dealings. Well, how did they get it? They had an advocate, an advocate. We all need and desire advocates. They're so important in so many areas of our life. But here we, we hear that we have an advocate with the Father. Now we're not talking in minor league benefits, but we're talking in terms of a lifetime benediction, a constant blessing that is ours because we have an advocate with none other than the Father, the God of the universe. And so there will be blessing and favor for the whole of our lives and forever and ever. Why? Because, and only because, we have an advocate with the Father. Now, we're going to look first at what does Christ bring to his advocacy? What does he bring to this intercession as an advocate? Then secondly, what do we receive as benefits from his advocacy? And then thirdly, how do we live in the light of that advocacy? What does he bring to it? What do we receive from it? And then how do we live in the light of his advocacy? Well, first of all, what does Christ bring to it? He brings, we would say in the first place, an official capacity as advocate. We don't need to think of this as the father reluctantly hearing him be an advocate. But he's been placed there by the Father for you. Imagine the judge establishing an advocate for you. Just as it says in John 3.16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. He not only gives him that he would sacrifice his life for us, but he gives him in the continuing work as a redeemer to intercede for us. And so in Romans 8, right in the same breath as Paul says, it's God who justifies. He says, it is the Son who intercedes. So as the Father is bringing His blessing to us, He establishes the Son. He is not reluctant. 
He is an official capacity from the Father. Also, you see here, He is the righteous one. He's called in verse 1, an advocate, Jesus Christ, the righteous. And so we read in Hebrews 7, verse 26, we have a high priest, holy, innocent, unstained, separated from sinners and exalted above the heavens. He has no need to offer sacrifices for himself. The priests were weak. They themselves needed forgiveness. He comes as the righteous one before the Father. The Father delights in this advocate. He accepts this advocate and welcomes him fully and smiles upon this advocate. It's one thing if you uh, name a name in a certain company and somebody says, I wouldn't name his name if you're going or trying to apply to that company. (laughs) He doesn't have a good reputation. But this one always is before the Father in his delight. But not only is he established by God and he's righteous, but he is a king. We read in Scripture and we just confess that he is seated at the right hand of God as a king. So this is a priest who has a prevailing advocacy. He has all dignity. He has the same dignity as the Father. For he is God himself. Imagine God is your advocate before the Father with all authority. And because he is the righteous one and he is the prevailing king, he can say at Lazarus' tomb, the Father always hears me. And do you think that the Father doesn't hear him now when he's at the right hand of the Father? Certainly he does in his equal glorious dignity and his perfect righteousness. And then finally, Notice what he brings in verse 2. He is the propitiation for our sins. Not only that he accomplishes propitiation, and this word means that he has satisfied all the requirements for our sin. He has satisfied justice for our sins. He has satisfied the punishment and wrath that our sins deserved. He has propitiated for our sins. And God is satisfied as He looks upon His Son. And so redemption, you see, is in two parts. He accomplishes it on the cross and then He brings that satisfaction to the Father. In the Old Testament, there are two altars. There's the bronze altar on which the lamb or bull was sacrificed. And then there was another altar called the altar of incense, the golden altar right by the curtain, and and the incense went up, and it was a picture of the constant prayers of not only the people of God, but especially in fulfillment, the Lord Jesus Christ praying before the Father. But it's interesting, the coals from the bronze altar were what they put in the coals of the golden altar. So there's this connection between His death and what is brought to the Father. And so the priest once a year also, the great apex, the great final thing that was accomplished in the Day of Atonement was not just the sacrifice of the animal, but it was the fact that the priest brought the blood into the Holy of Holies that one time a year. 
That was the apex of all of their religious worship in the year was the time the priest walked into the Holy of Holies. So this is not an extra thing. We focus so much, as we should, upon the death and resurrection and even ascension of Christ. But everything works to this final end so that now He appears before us in the Holy of Holies and He presents His own propitiation to the Father. How glorious. The continuation to completion of the work of redemption. So... He is established by the Father. He's the righteous one. He's the sovereign king. And he's the one who's propitiated for our sins. Then what do we receive as a result of this glorious work that Christ is accomplishing for us? We receive then the perpetual presence of his completed sacrifice before the Father. The perpetual presence of the completed sacrifice. So all the favor that the Son has before the Father, this favor we receive. All the favor with which He is received by the Father, the delight that the Father has in Him, we receive it because we are in Christ. The Scriptures picture us as seated with Him on the throne. We're so bound up to Him that we are hidden in Him. We are joined to Him. And so as even Calvin so long ago said, when the Lord Jesus in His high priestly prayer in John 17 says, I consecrate myself for their sake. That means that in His consecration and in the final consecration before God, we are with Him in that consecration. He consecrates us to God. How amazing. We are given up and accepted in God's favor because of the presence of Christ. As one has said, He reinstates humanity in the presence of God. You are reinstated into the presence of God because you are joined with Jesus Christ. And if, if there was no intercession, you would have no acceptance before God. None at all. But the Son pleads His finished work before the Father. And the Father smiles upon it. This means that all of His specific intercessions, which we'll talk about, all of the particular things that He prays for, as he said to Peter, here's the kind of beginning edges of that intercession. I've prayed for you because Satan wants to sift you like wheat, but I've prayed for you that you will be held up. Or in John 17, as he prays to, for deliverance against the evil one and prays for unity and growth, etc. All of these prayers then become benedictions of God benedictions, because every prayer of Christ is answered for His people. The Father always hears Him, and so the constant intercession of Christ means the constant benediction of God upon your life. So it's not just you are accepted, but it's not just the lack of 
of judgment or the, or the bare forgiveness that you and I have. It's the positive blessing that is ours through Christ's intercession. So you are not only in God's favor, but such favor so that God's goodness and mercy follows you all the days of your life. Why does that occur? It's because of the intercession of Christ. He, in His intercession, guards us against the accusations of the enemy. As it says in Romans chapter 8, there's this background, this cry out, who can be against us if God is for us? Who is to condemn? Who accuses when God is the one who justifies? Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? And he says, Christ Jesus died, he was raised, he's at the right hand of God, he's interceding for us. Therefore, there can be no accusation brought against us. So you see, if you are bowing down to accusations and living under guilt, then you are denying the precious intercession of Christ in which you may trust so that all accusations are put down. He also, in His intercession, makes all of our prayers acceptable to Him. Our prayers are so weak. So many times they're flimsy, they're superficial, they're trivial. Sometimes even our motives are not good in our prayers, and yet through His intercession we are made acceptable. Our service as well, as Peter talks about in 1 Peter chapter 2, that we make spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. We see this, this service, everything that we offer to Him is made acceptable through the intercession of Jesus. And then... He prays for all of the things that we need day in and day out. He watches us. He cares for us. He knows us intimately. At the end of Hebrews 2 and Hebrews 4, it talks about how He's a merciful high priest. He knows exactly what it feels like to be tempted, yet without sin. He knows what it's like to go through suffering. And so His ceaseless intercessions are tailor-made and adapted for your particular needs. And He knows things about you that you don't know, and He prays for you. He knows of dangers that you're not aware, and He prays for you. And so everything that we need, He secures all of the benefits of His redemption. A friend of mine, Grover Allgood, way back in Columbus, who attended that church, he had a sawmill just over the state line in Alabama. And way back in the 90s, he had a computer that was hooked into the national cost of different lumber cuts so this computer would literally measure a log and decide according to the prices how to cut that log in the very best way. Just amazed me. You know, it's not just by, you know, let's try this or let's try. No, it took an exact measurement according to what was needed and that, that log was cut to make a maximum profit. And that's just how the Lord Jesus 
completely aware of everything that you're going through. And His purpose, you see, is that you would be established, that you would finally end up in heaven with Him. As He prays throughout John 17, praying for your sanctification, praying that you would be kept from the evil one, and finally, I pray that they will be with me that they will be with me and see my glory that you have given me. And so his, his intercession reigns upon us with the tenderest care, everything that we need in our salvation. So full acceptance and all blessings, goodness and mercy raining down upon you. And so you can know in every single day... This is a day secured by Christ's presence before the Father. And of course, it's not that the Father is against us and the, and the Son is winning Him over. This is the Father's means to communicate to us the wholehearted desire upon Father and Son and the sending of the Spirit, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit completely focused upon the good of your salvation every single day in every circumstance. And so, as we pass through the wilderness, as we pass through the struggles and trials and difficulties of this world, we know that every single part of it is, it, is the result and function of the intercession of Christ. Isn't that an amazing thing? To think that my, the particular circumstances of my life are the result of the intercession of my Lord before the throne of God. My my, my life is bathed in His blessing and His benediction. I can never go outside that benediction uh, besides my own disobedience and refusal and, and unbelief. And then lastly, how we can live in the light of this intercession. And this is where context is so wonderful. I'd like for you to open your Bibles again if you don't have them open to page 1021. This passage has some interesting parallels. He's talking about the implications of God being light. Because God is light, we cannot walk in darkness. Because if we do, then we lie and don't practice the truth. But notice the parallel of verse 7 and then verses nine, uh, verse 7 and verse 9. If we walk in the light, as He is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus His Son cleanses us from all sin. And then you drop down to verse 9 and look how uh, similar. If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins... And cleanse us from all unrighteousness. The same word for cleansing. So walking in the light is parallel with confessing our sins. And then in that same context, of course, he sets before us the advocate that we have. Jesus Christ the righteous and his propitiation. There again is the idea, the cleansing of our sins the advocate that we have with the Father. Now, this means that walking in the light 
is a walk in which we humbly confess our sins, humbly acknowledge and confess our weakness and entrust ourselves to his forgiveness, his faithfulness and justice to forgive us. Notice the counter or the other side of not walking in the light, to walk in the darkness. Look at verse 8. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. Or verse 10. If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. Walking in the light then in the first place means acknowledging our need of an advocate, okay? Acknowledging that we have sinned, that we do sin, that we are in constant need of an open relationship with the Father. Let me read from a great commentator from the 19th century, Robert Canlish. What is walking in darkness? It is insincerity. It's the lack of openness and transparent honesty in our dealings with God and with ourselves as to the real state of our hearts toward God and the bent and bias of our affections away from God toward selfishness and worldliness. In other words, not being honest with God about the real condition of our hearts, what we really feel. What we really love and don't love. The true darkness that we see sometimes in our heart. Is it not that we have in us and about us something to conceal or disguise? Something that does not satisfy us. Something about which we have misgiving. Something that when we think seriously and confess and pray, we slur over. We don't want to dwell upon it. We try to represent ourselves as not so bad as it seems. We try to excuse ourselves, explain it away, obscure it, hurry over it. We don't want to just come and expose ourselves in the light of His Word and His forgiveness. And he talks later about the reason for this. He says, it is because we have a suspicion of God. We have a suspicion of Him and a reserve that we do not believe He is the forgiving God. We do not believe we truly have an advocate. And so we live as, at times, hypocrites, holding back and not being honest, not being straightforward with what we really are before God. Rather, he says, take Him at His word, In the full confidence of loving fellowship, go to the secret place of God. Share with Him all that is on my mind, all that is on my conscience, all that is on my heart, all that is harassing me, everything that's burdening me or tempting me. The present matter of care, whatever it may be, let me unbosom all my grief. Let me freely and unreservedly speak to Him of what is uppermost in my thoughts. There may be sin in it. There may be something wrong. There may be a wound to be probed, some root of bitterness to be searched out, some offending right hand or right eye. Be it so, let me open up all. Let me confess all. Let me spread out my whole case. Let me empty and lay bare my whole soul. Let 
let me put myself and be ever putting myself thoroughly, nakedly, unreservedly into his hands. I may rely that he will be faithful and righteous and tender with me. And it shows itself, doesn't it, in how we deal with one another. How I, as a husband, if my wife points out something that I don't want to admit it. I want to make excuses. I want to then find something wrong with her. Yeah, well, how about... We want to one-up each other. We don't want to even admit sometimes. We not only make excuses, we are even silent sometimes when someone brings up something, your husband or wife, because we don't want to even bring it up. And sometimes we even think of our relationship as... Boy, if I admit this, then she's got a little upper hand and leverage on me. Amazing, huh? The opposite of humility. And isn't it interesting that he says, if we walk in the light as he is in the light, you would think he would say, we have fellowship with him. He says, we have fellowship with one another. How can we have fellowship with one another? When we're open about who we are before God. When we entrust ourselves to his forgiveness. When we believe, we have an advocate with the Father. And we are accepted before Him. He is the righteous one for us. He is the propitiation for us. The Father smiles upon Him and smiles upon us. The favor He has, we have. We are free to walk in the light and not say, Oh, I don't have sin. In so doing, we make him a liar. We make his advocacy a lie. He has to be an advocate constantly for us, brothers and sisters. There's not one day that you can live on this world in the favor of God except for the advocacy of Jesus Christ. And so, our fellowship with one another is built upon our mutual honesty and brokenness before God. Isn't it interesting in our confession from Psalm 51? He's not looking for, even in that Old Testament context, bulls and goats per se. But what is the sacrifice he wants? Broken and contrite heart. Isn't it interesting that in Isaiah 66 and 57 it says, I dwell in a high and exalted place and with the broken and contrite heart. It's the only place, in a sense, that he manifests himself, gives himself freely to the broken. So I urge you, walk in the light, and the blood of Jesus cleanses you from all sin, cleanses us from all unrighteousness. Not only are your debts gone, but the stains are gone, and you have a clean conscience. And I want to urge you, if you do not know the Lord Jesus Christ, where's your advocacy? Where's your advocacy? God is offering you an advocate with Himself. He's offering you an advocate not just for a job or a hospital or a court, but He's offering you an advocacy for Judgment Day. Can you imagine appearing in Judgment Day and there? is your advocate. And he says, he's with me.
I have paid for his sin. I will vouch for this one. He is mine. And with no advocate, where will you be? The Father freely offers him for you. Will you not receive him for your forgiveness? Let us pray. O Lord, thank you for Jesus Christ, the righteous one, our propitiation, the one who satisfies your wrath so that there is no wrath for us. There is no condemnation for us. It is only favor. It is only benediction every day of our life, in every circumstance of our lives. O Lord, teach us to walk with that kind of joy and peace in which in the most difficult of times we trust in and we begin to taste and enjoy the benediction of Christ. For He always makes intercession for us. And, O Lord, may we have that freedom then to freely confess our sins, to trust in Your faithfulness and Your mercy and Your justice, that according to your promise and according to your covenant, you will indeed constantly forgive us of our sins and cleanse us of all unrighteousness. Thank you, Lord, for providing for us, for all of life, forever, an advocate. Bless us that we may trust him and live in the light of his intercession. For we pray it in his great name. Amen.